Turn to Psalm 1. Psalm number 1. Psalm 1. We're going to jump off here. And then we're going to go to Colossians. We're going to uh, finish up a lesson we started two weeks ago. Psalm 1, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the opportunity tonight, Lord, we have to study your word. Lord, as we begin with seeing the picture of the blessed man here in the book of Psalms, Lord, I thank you that we are blessed. I thank you we are blessed because we know you. We are blessed because we have your word. We are blessed because we have your pattern and your purpose. We're blessed because of faith in Christ for salvation. And Lord, may we see tonight how blessed we are that we can continue that walk for you the same way it began. Uh, Lord, help us this evening, Lord, to grow in our faith, to glow, grow in our walk for you. And Lord, help me, Lord, as I endeavor to preach you right your truth this evening. Lord, may your word go forth powerfully tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Would you turn back to the book of Colossians now as we get back to our text, as we look at Lesson 5, the conclusion of Lesson 5 this evening. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him. I want you to notice that, that verse. That verse is vital that verse is the key, it is the pivotal, it is the hitch pin uh, of the message and the teaching here. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk ye in him, verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. As ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. We have an appeal here to go on, to continue on the same way we started. And we see that just as we receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, that we are to continue. We're to go forward in the Christian walk the same way, and that's by faith. It is the key verse there, as I mentioned, verse 6, is you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye 
in him. And we see here a, a vital truths about the Christian life. And I mentioned last week, I'm gonna, or two weeks ago, we were going to give you three truths. And we'll start back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit of a, uh, a foundation, a rebuild. Of course, it's been two weeks, and I want to get to the last one tonight, and that's the message. But number one, and I gave you this two weeks ago, but we are told what it really means to be a Christian. And by the way, it's vital. By the way, when I share Christ with someone, I'll ask often the question, I'll ask them, if you died today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Uh, Brother Gerald, I don't say, are you a Christian? You know why I don't ask people if they're a Christian? Because most people don't know the definition of what a Christian is. I'll tell you why, because most born-again people don't really know the definition of what a Christian is. Uh, but the lost world certainly has no idea what a Christian is. The, the lost world, a Christian, oh yeah, I'm a good person, I'm a Christian. Or uh, my family, uh, my great-great-great-grandfather was a Christian, so I'm a Christian. Uh, or I, I went to church last Sunday, so I guess I'm a Christian. Or, you know, I, I prayed once, or I, I have a Bible, or I believe in God. There's all kinds of things that people may say, well, I believe that's, I'm a Christian. I'm very specific when I share Christ to find out if they know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, and I nail them down on that, what they're trusting in to get to heaven, because we have to know what it means to be a Christian. And according to verse 6 and a lot of other scriptures, a Christian is one who has received Christ. A Christian is one who's believed Christ. He's not simply one who believes about Christ Jesus the Lord. He's one who believes in Christ Jesus the Lord. And there's a difference. There's a big difference in believing in something and believing on something. I, I trusted this chair tonight. My knees were a bit wobbly, and I, I used that chair. I pushed on it to get up. I, I, I trusted it. I knew it would hold me. Now, if I stood over here and I said, I believe that chair can hold me, but I, I lean on this instead of the chair, you're wondering, I wonder if he really believes on that. We see being a Christian is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, and I, I'm not going to have you read these references, but if you want to write these down, if you didn't get them already, Christians are those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, the proof that we're Christians is that the Lord Jesus is dwelling in our hearts. He's dwelling in us. Uh, Galatians 2, 20, a Christian is one who Christ, in whom Christ dwells. Colossians 1, 27, uh, we looked at a few weeks ago, four weeks ago, I think, on a Wednesday night. Uh, the experience of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us as believers is that mystery, not, not something spooky. It's a mystery to the lost world. They don't understand it. It is the mystery uh, to the uninitiated, but it's a glorious reality for us as believers. Uh, so I said, number one, we see here in verse 6 uh, that definition, if you will, or what it really means to be a Christian is we believe in him. It says in verse 6 there, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. We've received him. Number two tonight, and we went over this briefly last week or two weeks ago, but it tells us we're told who it is, who it is that we as believers have received, who it is we have received. I heard a story 
years ago about uh, these folks that were expecting a visitor, and they had prepared for the visitor, and someone was coming. They didn't know it was a friend of a friend, and they had a room prepared. They had food prepared. They were expecting company, and the guy came to the door, and they welcomed him in. They called him by name. He walked in. They had a meal for him. They took him and showed him, this is your room. And he was extremely appreciative. A few hours later, a knock came at the door. It was the visitor that was supposed to show up. This was during the Great Depression, and there was a fellow who was knocking on doors. He was going to ask if he could feed him. He was out of work. He needed help. And he knocked on the door. They just called his name, invited him in, and gave him a meal, told him he had a place to stay. He just assumed God answers his prayer. Uh, but he was not the visitor that they were waiting on. Now, we find out who it is who was knocking on our heart's door that we received. And we see who that is in verse 6. Uh, and we talked about this uh, two weeks ago, but I want you to see it again because it's so good. Number one, we see him called here in verse 6. He received, we see three names, Christ, Jesus, the Lord. Christ, we see the first name, his official title. The divinely appointed one, the appointed Messiah, the commissioned one, the Christ. Uh, in Colossians 1.27, the one who dwells in us, uh, in Christ we are hid. Colossians 3 verse 3, down just a few verses, tells us uh, he is our life. The Bible says in verse 4, and this I say, uh, or in verse, chapter 3 verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, shall appear. Christ. Who did you receive? You received Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. We see Christ Jesus. Jesus was his name that the angels told Mary and Joseph, who will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Jesus, Yeshua, Savior, has a much deeper significance. It was the great purpose for which our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. He's your Savior. Who did I receive? I received Christ, the Messiah, the appointed one, the Holy One. I received Jesus, my Savior, the one who came to die in my place, the one who came to be the sacrifice, the one who came to fulfill all the Old Testament sacrifices in one. The Old Testament priest, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, many times would have to go and apply the blood, many times would have to sacrifice, but the Bible says that Jesus entered in once into the Holy of Holies, once for all, once for all, and it was done. How many have ever had to haul water before? Ever lived where you didn't have running water? Ever had to haul water? Brother Jim, you probably hauled a little bit of water before. Ever, how many have ever had to use the hand, old hand pump? Remember the old hand pump? You got to... By the way, the hand pump makes you mad. If you got no water to start it with, you're really in trouble. You got to have a little water, and you get it going. You're cranking that hand pump, and you're going and going and going, and finally the water comes. And 
You got the bucket and then you got to take it. If it's not at the house already, you got to carry the water to the house. Imagine going from not having running water. I mean, every day you got to get up and you got to go and you got to you got to draw water out of the well or you got to get it out of the river or wherever and you got to carry it back and in some places, depending on where the water comes from, before you can use it, you got to purify it, you got to boil it, you got to do all of that. Then you finally got water. Imagine going through all that to have coffee, Brother Gerald. I would almost consider giving up coffee. Probably not, but almost. Imagine someone going through all of that every day, every day, every day, getting water. All of a sudden, they get indoor plumbing, running water. My grandparents' house has been torn down now. My sister built a house there. But my grandparents' house that I grew up beside of there on the farm, if you looked at the way the house was built, you would realize as you went through the house, you came in the front door, and as you came in the front door, it was a little bit of a living room area. And then it kind of turned and went into a room that you might look at almost as a maybe a dining room. We called it the... They call it the front room. I have no idea. It was another little area. There was a stove and a couple of chairs. And you'd walk through that into the kitchen. And you could tell as you looked, and there was a, a door off of that little room into the bedroom on the main floor. There was upstairs, old farmhouse. But if you looked at the way things flowed in the house, you would realize that the bathroom area, which was off the kitchen, there was a back door and their area to the bathroom. It was not part of the original house. It was added on. Now, it was added on because when that house was built, there was no running water. There was no indoor toilets. The toilet was out back in a little wooden shack with a little flat piece of wood that you, you set on. And underneath was a hole and instead of having a roll of toilet paper, you had some old dry corn cobs in the corner of the stall there to, to wipe with. Uh, not quite as soft as a Charmin. Uh, but there came a time when my grandparents got plumbing in that house. And they added on a bathroom. I mean, they had a toilet, they had a sink, uh, they had a, a, a bathtub and a shower. But imagine, if you will, going from every day having to draw water, every day having to go and get it, maybe purify it, to all of a sudden, all you have to do is go over to your sink, turn a knob, and there's water. Praise God. And we think, what a difference that is. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus went once for all, but it's not something we can go whenever we want and turn it on. It's turned on forever. Understand the blood is applied. There is no need for another sacrifice. There is no eternal, it's, it's finished all in one. But he is Christ Jesus, and then we see the word, the name Lord. It indicates his sovereignty. By the way, sovereign, the sovereignty of God is a very important subject in the Bible. Don't, don't be afraid of that phrase, the sovereignty of God. Don't let the, uh, the Calvinists who are wrong on the gospel and wrong in doctrine, uh, don't let them scare you off of the word sovereignty because God is a sovereign God. 
uh, he, we see the sovereignty of God as him being the Lord, the one who we've received as the master, the one who is sitting on the throne, the one who's on the right hand of God the Father, the one that Stephen saw standing ready to welcome him into heaven. He is the Lord Jehovah. He is the Lord that, as we see the Old Testament scribes, would, as they would write the name Jehovah, Yahweh, they would make sure they washed themselves and cleaned themselves and got a new pen, a new quill, and would write the name and do it all again every time. He's the Lord. So let me recap here and get to where we finished up a few weeks ago. So we see what it means to be a Christian. It means that we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here in this verse, in those three names, who we have received, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus the Lord. So Christ, the living one that dwells in you. Colossians 1.27, we see that. Galatians 2 and verse 20, we see that. He's the living one. Jesus, the Savior who died for you. He gave himself for you. He sacrificed himself for you. Isaiah 53, verse 56, we have a prophetic passage speaking about him giving himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, speak of Jesus. And then we see the Lord, the sovereign, the master who rules over all. We see in Philippians 2.11, if you want to write the reference down, 1 Peter 3.15, we see he's the Lord, the sovereign one. Now, what does all that mean for you? What, what does that mean for me as a believer? It means that my sins are forgiven. Brother Jerese, have you ever committed any sins? If you said no, I was going to ask your wife, and she would have smacked you and said yes. Brother Jerese, you think you committed a lot of sins? I, I think this is, I think Jerese has committed so many sins, he should go to hell. You know why I think that? Because I think that all of us have committed enough sins to go to hell. Uh, just the sin of not accepting Christ yet was enough, but any sin, we're all sinners. Now, we want to quantify sin. We want to look at uh, some horrible murderer. I, I saw a, a report on the news about some new uh, movie or documentary or whatever it is about Jeffrey Dahmer. How many of you remember Jeffrey Dahmer? Evil man. Evil, 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 evil man. A man who did horrible things to people and cut their bodies up and kept parts in his refrigerator and ate them and put parts under his evil man. I guess they're doing some documentary, not about him, but whatever it is. We think of people like that and it turns our stomach. And we say, oh, that's a bad, bad, bad man. How many of you would... It would make you a bit sick to know you live beside somebody like that. Man, he lived in the same town, the same country. Uh, so evil, so vile, so disgusting. But we look at the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world. And then we come over here and we look at ourselves. And Brother Dreef says, I'm not too bad. I'm not as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, I kill people, but I don't eat them, right, Brother Jerese? Uh, I kill moose and eat them, but I don't kill people. Uh, but 
I'm not as bad as him or I'm not as bad as that person. There's always somebody that we set up as, that guy's a worse sinner than me. By the way, those of you that got saved later in life, those of you that got the gospel later, I guarantee you at some point before you got saved, no matter what kind of sin and wickedness you got into, there was somebody you said, I'm glad I'm not as bad as him. Brother Jim, you probably had some family member. You said, well, I'm not as bad as my brother or cousin. I've got somebody. I'm pretty good. Until the Lord starts to convict you about the fact you're a sinner. And we realize that our sin is just as bad as Mr. Dahmer's sin was. Because all sin is black in God's eyes. But the good news is, so pastor, how depressing is that? In God's eyes, I'm just as wicked as Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah. Pastor, that's depressing. No, that's wonderful. Because that sin that makes me not to be able in the presence of God is gone. It is paid for. My sins are forgiven. The same Jesus who I have received is the one who died on Calvary's tree and paid that debt. My sin is paid for. I, not only are my sin paid for, but I've received new life. New life. My sister had this stuffed animal. It was a monkey, and it had a hard rubber kind of face here and hard plastic hands and feet, and it was a cloth body and a cloth head and... My dog chewed it up once, Brother Gerald. I mean, it was unrecognizable. It was worse than Jeffrey Dahmer would have done to it. It was bad. It was my sister's security blanket. It was the toy she had with her all the time, and I, I can't believe I can't remember the name of it. She had some name for it, but she was devastated. I mean, her life was over because that monkey was gone. My grandmother got it. I don't know if my mom took it over or my sister took it over to her. My grandmother just came and got it because she heard the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But my grandmother took that monkey and she took him to Dr. Frankenstein's laboratory and she stitched him all back up. He had more stitches than Frankenstein's monster. Miss Shirley would be proud of her. And I don't think there was any electricity involved or any corks in the side of its neck, but she gave it new life. And she brought that monkey back over to my sister. It was like the patchwork monkey. I mean, there were stitches all over it. There was extra bits of material had to be put in for missing parts. But my sister grabbed that monkey, and he was alive again. He was okay. You see, God didn't just stitch you up and make you a little better. He didn't just fill in some empty parts that you were lacking. God's given us brand new life. What a wonderful thing. When I've received Christ, my sins are forgiven. I, I, I've got a new life in Christ. And I recognize, this is, he's the Lord. I recognize, as a Christian, I recognize the sovereignty of God. I realize I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I realize that I belong to him. I am owned by him. He calls me by his name. Colton, you guys have been married for a little over a year. Before you got married, did you ever call your, your fiancé at the time, Mrs. Visser, before you got married? You didn't call her that yet. 
because she, she was sober back then. She's not sober anymore, but she was sober back then. She'd been drinking really bad ever since they got married. But after they got married, I remember Rebecca and I watched the wedding ceremony as we were getting Camp Joy food carried in down here. We're carrying the phone as we're carrying food and going out the church van, driving around. We watched the ceremony in California, a live stream. After she said, I do, and you said, I, I will, so you don't kill me. After that, have you called her Mrs. Visser since then? Wow. What changed? She's yours. Christian, don't miss the, the amazingness and that simplicity. You're his. He called you by his name. He's sovereign. He's the Lord. Number three, and this is the point we're working to get to tonight to finish out the lesson. And this really is not the bulk of the, a lot of foundational truth I want us to get so we can get this. I gave all that to you two weeks ago and we looked at it again tonight so we can get to this capsulated truth. Number three, we are told here how to continue in the Christian life. Now we've learned what it means to be a Christian from this verse, verse 6. We've learned what we've, who we've received, who it is, Christ Jesus, the Lord. But we also learn how we're to continue. Notice the words in verse 6, as, see that word, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord. Notice this next word, so walk ye in him. Those two words are very important. Because they are tying together these two thoughts in this verse. As and so. We become Christians in a moment. Believing. The very moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the very moment we believe, it's not a 10-step process. It's not a, uh, I got to say these certain words or pray this certain prayer. Uh, no, it's my believing in Jesus Christ. And that believing is that quick. That moment of belief, I'm saved. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That quick. I believe by faith. But to live the Christian life, not to earn it, get this statement, and then let me go back and, and give an addendum here a little bit. To live the Christian life takes a lifetime. Now, I'm not talking about earning salvation. I'm not talking about working up to being perfect or working up to being earning heaven or not even working up to paying God back. I'm talking about living the life that God has for you down here before we see him in heaven takes a lifetime. So, Pastor, how long is a lifetime? Different for all of us. I remember... I believe it was three years ago. Rebecca might remember me and Ahmad and Rebecca were up in Slave, uh, Slave Lake. And we were, it was November 30th, I think it was. The last day of hunting season, it was kind of a desperation, try to go kill a deer day, and we didn't. As we were driving back, I listened to Ahmad as he was on the phone with a dear friend of his, a man he worked with. A man he'd witnessed too many times, a man who lay in a hospital room dying. 
And I listened as Ahmad appealed to that man to trust Christ. He did not. But praise the Lord, Ahmad went to see him. He got saved. It was just a few days later. He slipped off into eternity. Ahmad found out later that everybody that came in the room after he got saved, he told doctors, his wife, everybody. He told everybody how he had gotten saved. For him, his lifetime down here as a believer was very short. We don't know how long we have to live the Christian life down here, but we will live it as long as God wants us to. In his time, not ours. Believing Christ, accepting Christ by faith is instantaneous. Living and walking the Christian life takes a lifetime, but it happens the same way. It says, as and so we see them tied together. And we see in verse 7, we've got to continue here, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, so as we began, how do we begin? Faith. We began in faith. How do we continue? How do we walk the Christian life? i got to make sure I avoid that rug. I'm going to trip and die. and uh, I'll go straight to heaven. Uh, but how do we walk the Christian life? By faith. The same way we believed. We trust him for every step, every aspect. And then in verse 7, it gives us four instructive metaphors describing the characteristics of a Christian who's going on with the Lord. And I want us to look at these tonight. I want you to see four very simple things for you as a believer to see if you are going on as God wants you to in your Christian life. The first characteristic of a Christian we see here, a believer, is security. A few weeks ago, I joked about it, but Colton and I locked ourselves out of the church building. And we tried to break in. I mean, we really tried. If I was younger and I had good knees, I would have climbed up on the roof and got in through an open window. Uh, Colton was too chicken. Uh, he was smarter. He's smarter at his age than I was when I was his age. I would have climbed up there. But we couldn't get in. We tried to get in. I mean, I, I tried all the tricks in the book, and uh, I, I spent quite a long time in Chicago in the inner city. I, I know how to break into places, Brother Gerald. Uh, I couldn't get in. I said, man, I feel pretty good knowing that this building's pretty secure. Uh, and the deadbolt wasn't even locked. Even the lock out front, because of the way the metal is, that we couldn't get in. We were pretty secure then, realizing that door's pretty good. Can I tell you that one of the first things we see here in this passage in verse 7, notice this, we are rooted. Rooted. The roots of my life as a believer go down to Jesus Christ. How many have ever had wisdom teeth removed? How many have ever had them pulled? How many have ever had surgery to have your wisdom teeth out? I had my wisdom teeth pulled, and one of my wisdom teeth, I think it was this one, I went in to get pulled, and horrible dentist. Asked my wife, worst dentist I ever met in my life. The insurance we had at the time, very few places we could use it, this place. 
it was a disgusting, gross, nasty place. The dentist was horrible. Uh, but he was, I think he was a dentist, maybe. He might have been a veterinarian, but he tried to get this wisdom tooth out. Well, what he failed to realize was the wisdom tooth here, the root went down and corkscrewed around in and under my jaw. And he got back there and he's trying to get it. And he was a big man, but he called, he always called me big fella. And he says, there, he's like, I'm sorry, big fella. He said, I should have, I should have put you to sleep for this. He said, I should have, he said, I should have done surgery for this. He said, but you're, you're strong. You can handle it. And he's fighting and fighting to get it out. And I'm there just, it was not pleasant. And he's manipulating my head and, and every few minutes, oh, I'm big fella, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I really shouldn't be doing this right now. But still, he's still working at it. Finally, he looks at the assistant, old lady. She was, and she looked way too old to be working in a dental office. I think she was about 137 years old. And he said to her, he said, get me the chisel. And she looked at him. And he said, get me the chisel. She acted like she'd never heard him say that. Finally, she went, and she brought back, how many of you know what a cold chisel is? That's what it was. God's hand, hand on the Bible and hand to God. A chisel like you have in your toolbox, fellas, at home. He put that chisel in my mouth, back in that tooth, and he got a hammer, and the chisel's in there in my jaw, and he kept popping. About the third whack with the hammer, my entire head fell off. I you know I heard the crack and and the whole every time he hit me, I'm sorry, big fella. I'm sorry about this. I shouldn't be doing this. It was bad. The old lady came to me when he walked out of the room and she said, I've never seen him do that in my life, all my years of working in dental practice. And she said, you're going to be in a lot of pain. And he gave me a prescription for a strong pain medicine. And he told me, he said, now, I know you got to drive a ways. We had to travel about 40 minutes to get there. He said, don't take this before you drive. It might knock you out. He said, but you make sure you take it as soon as you get home. He said, you're going to be sore. I had bruising down to here. Blood settled and bruising this far down my body. I was in a lot of pain. And by the way, as a blessing, the Lord made it so pain medicine doesn't do anything for me. Uh, so I got it but did nothing. But can I tell you that root, of that wisdom tooth, it was established. It, it was anchored and rooted in my jaw, and it said, I ain't coming out of there. But that horrible dentist with that dirty toolbox, cold chisel, and a hammer eventually got it out. Can I tell you, Christian, you are rooted so deep in Jesus Christ that the devil himself cannot remove you. And I'll go a bit farther. You can't even remove yourself. I am rooted. That's some security. By the way, this crowd today, this false religious crowd, you know, I'm saved today, I'm lost tomorrow, saved today, lost tomorrow, don't know if I'm going to heaven, maybe I'm going to die and go to... No, the Bible says I'm rooted in Christ. I'm in him. He's in Christ. No man can remove me from his hand. I am rooted. I'm anchored there. So we see that first characteristic. The Bible says, as ye have received, 
so walk. I can walk, number one, in security. Number two, not only do we see security in verse 7, but we see maturity. It says we're rooted in verse 7 and built up in him. Built up. B was telling me when she got to see her family last week, it's the first time she's ever been away from her sister and gone back to see her sister, and her sister hadn't grown. Why? Because her sister's grown. She's a grown young lady. You know, she's not a little girl anymore. Every time B was away from her growing up for time, a couple years when she left China and back and forth, she'd leave and come back, and her sister who was here was here and was here. Actually, she's not very tall now. She's only about right here. But when she went back and saw her last week, she hadn't grown. She was the same. She's matured. Christian, we are maturing. We are being built up in the Lord. As we received, so are we to walk. We're to walk in, in that security of knowing we're rooted in him and we're to walk being built up, growing. We're not only secure, but our great need is to grow. The Bible says to grow in grace. We're to be built up in faith. When we receive the Lord, we're spiritual babies. Just little babies. Brother Jim, I bet you're sure glad that whenever... Well, you're not as glad as your wife is, but glad when Josh wasn't born, he wasn't that size. Glad you didn't have to pick him up and rock him to sleep when he was that size. Now Rebecca has to pick him up and rock him to sleep. Uh, you didn't have to change his diaper when he was that size. Now Rebecca. No. He was just a little fella. You know, if he was that size, you couldn't afford to, you had to buy three cows to get enough milk to feed him. Uh, but he grew. Spiritually, when you were born, you're not born mature. We're born complete in Christ, but we're not matured. We mature as we grow. We see that maturity. Uh, we shouldn't remain as an infant. Be pretty bad if Josh, 23, if Josh was 23 years old and he was still, you know, eight pounds, still sucking his thumb, still wearing a diaper, there'd be a problem. Rebecca, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let you marry him if that was the case. Uh, that'd be a problem. By the way, it's a problem, Christian, when you stay like a baby too, spiritually. You should be maturing. We mature as we get the milk of the word. We should grow. How do we grow? By faith. The same way we receive, so walk. We see security, we see maturity, and we see stability. Verse 7 rooted and built up and established in the faith. Established in the faith. We have a warning in Colossians 2.8 about the danger of being turned aside from the faith. To being turned aside by worldliness in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, 7, or by error. We need that stability. I've got a piece of metal that I used to carry on the back of my Ford pickup truck. I call it the muskeg anchor. Dusty Gilmore, most of you know Dusty. This was years ago, not long after I first met Dusty. He was a welder. By the way, he's uh, welding right now. 
Uh, he built it for me. I, I gave him, told him what I wanted. Rebecca and I were out years ago, and we got stuck in Muskeg, and I had a winch, but there was nothing I could hook to. Brother Gerald, I almost became a logger. I, I wrapped my strap around trees. I go back to the truck, press the winch cable. By the way, winch is not very exciting. It's very slow motion. And But I'll save you the suspense. I just pulled the trees out of the ground because <laughs> it was muskeg. And I took the strap, and we grabbed around a bunch of other trees, and I just kept pulling trees out of the ground. There was no tree that could, it was all little stuff, and just yanking it out of the ground. And There was nothing I could hold on to that I could pull that would lift my truck. So I had Dusty build me this thing called, I call it the muskeg anchor, and it's got this metal bar with these teeth, and then there's a big piece of uh, steel rod and a loop. And basically, you put the wedge down in the muskeg. It's like an anchor. And then to the end of that bar with the loop, you hook a D-ring to your, your shackle. And when you pull the winch, it, it drives it down into the ground and goes deeper and deeper. And it'll finally get somewhere, hopefully, where it'll stop. Now, the reason I still have it is because I've never used it. If I ever used it, most likely it would be in the muskeg wherever I used it because uh, it would go down until it got something solid and then you could pull. Now, I love the fact that as believers, we are stable. We're not on, we're not on sinking sand. We're not on uh, uneven ground or soft ground. I can stand firm on Jesus Christ. We're established in the faith. Paul warns about that danger of being turned aside, as I said, but we don't have to be turned aside because we are established. How? The same way we receive the gospel by faith, we walk in that being in the stability. And lastly, we see the prosperity. The Bible says in verse 7, rooted and built up and established in the faith, you have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Abounding is to be a blessing to others. How many of you have ever raised a garden before? How many of you have ever raised a garden and you grew way too many vegetables more than you can eat? You ever grow zucchini? If you ever grow zucchini, don't plant very many zucchini plants unless you have a lot of friends. Because zucchini plants, they reproduce quicker than rabbits. I mean, there's like zucchinis, like... Three zucchini plants could feed the entire world. I could end world hungry with three zucchini plants. I mean, just, I remember as a kid going to church uh, in harvest season, every Sunday, we had buckets of zucchini. We'd go to church, <laughs> here, have some zucchini. Uh, here, have some zucchini. Here, have some of this. Have, had too much. We were a blessing to other people. Christian, God wants to abound in your life so you can bless others. As we go on walking the Christian life by faith, the same way we received in that blessing. And, and I'm not going to have you look there, but we can look in Psalm 1-3. We looked at it already tonight. John 7, verses 38 and 39. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. In these four things, and I'll give you this and we'll close with one more verse. In these four things, we see the four directions. The four directions of the Christian life. 
you have a compass, you've got four directions. You've got north, south, east, and west. I want to give you the four directions of a Christian life with those four thoughts in verse 7. The first direction is downward, rooted, rooted in Jesus Christ. How wonderful that is. The second direction is upward. We're rooted, and the Bible says we are built up, we're maturing. So we have downward, we have upward, then we have inward. Inward, established, and lastly, we have outward. As God wants to abound in your life and mine, we see in the last part of our verses here in verse 9 and 10, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. How many of you have ever had the, the crazy dream that I remember having a few times growing up? I think it normally happens when you're in school age, but you dream you go to school. Brother Gerald, you're in class. The teacher's there. Brother Gerald's a teacher. Everything normal going on around you. And all of a sudden you realize that you're not fully dressed. Ever have that dream? I had that dream a few times growing up. And I'm sitting there thinking, why does nobody notice except me? How am I going to get out of here? <laughs> I got to get home. How did I forget to put my clothes on? Uh, how am I here? I, I didn't have any pants on. I'm like, what in the world? How, how did I forget one very important piece of clothing? And you're, in the dream, I'm sitting there like, man, surely everybody notices. The teacher notices. Everybody around me notices. Why is no one saying anything? How do I get out of here? That's a horrible dream to have when you're an adolescent. A lot of us as Christians, we have this, not dream, but we have this recurring thought that we're not complete, that we're not enough, that we don't have all we need. But we see here that Christ is the fullness in all. I don't stand before him unclothed. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I, I don't walk the Christian life not prepared. I walk the Christian life with the preparation of the gospel of peace, with my Lord empowering me, emboldening me, and strengthening me in every good work. As I received, so walk Christian, just same way you receive by faith. May we walk by faith this Christian life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for making us complete in you. Thank you for your wonderful grace. Thank you for your love. Lord, how much of a privilege it is to know that we have all and everything we need in Jesus Christ. That we are not underprepared. We are not missing. We are not lacking. Lord, we have the fullness in you. Lord, bless us as we go forward by faith this week. Lord, be with us tonight as we're dismissed. Lord, may you receive the glory of this evening for our gathering. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.